Welcome to the Awake Podcast. I'm Noelle Yates, and today we're continuing session two where we're answering questions and common misconceptions about trafficking and the sex trade. And I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Kaylin Santos, who works here at World Help with me. She is our Asia and Middle East Project Administrator. And together we have a shared passion for Thailand, for the girls that are impacted by the sex trade. And really, we are both committed to helping rescue as many of those girls as possible. So last week, we had a great discussion just about what the word trafficking really means. And we really ended that discussion um, using the phrase modern day slavery and that that really encompasses what this issue is all about. And trafficking is a very broad word, but modern day slavery is something we can all get our arms around. And we sort of ended that discussion talking about how so much of this is impacted by the society and culture. And, you know, but before I went to Thailand, um, I was also in India working with girls impacted by the sex trade there as well. And that same thing, that same thought uh, struck me in India of how much pressure that culture puts on these young girls to provide for their families. And then I went to Thailand and found the same thing. So, Caitlin, I, I wanted to get your thoughts and perspective on this. And, and why is this? What is it about the culture that's putting this pressure on these girls? Well, let's start by digging in a little bit um, into the family culture in Thailand, because I think that that's an important background piece that we need to know to be able to understand this modern day slavery problem that we have. Um, So what happens is um, women in Thailand age out at about 35 years old. And what I mean by that is that um, their current provider is usually out in this industry already, but they become, and this is terrible to say, um, to that culture less appealing once they turn around 35 years old. And so the responsibility then falls directly on these children's shoulders to provide for the family needs. Um, And by children specifically, I need to say the women because the men are considered the spiritual providers in Thailand and the women are the uh, monetary providers. And so uh, the men are required to work three weeks to three months in a monastery sometime before high school. And that is considered the sacrificial aspect of this culture. That is their only responsibility. If they would like to work, they're more than welcome to do that in the future. But it's not going to be something that society tells them they must do. The women, on the other hand, are the financial providers and um they're responsible for the entire family's monetary needs. So not just their mother and their father, their brothers and their sisters, but also their aunts and uncles, their grandparents, their cousins. Um, They work in this communal environment. And so that's why there's so much pressure put on these women is because it's not just one or two people that they need to provide for. It's literally the entire family. And that's why our partner says that these women are handcuffed to society because if you can imagine having that type of pressure put on your shoulders at as young as 11 and 12 years old it's huge it's enormous to even think about Um, so I just want to explain a little bit of how this cycle gets started and how these girls end up in the sex industry I think a major misconception that we need to focus in on is that a lot of girls are forced into prostitution and while that is the case sometimes it's actually um, just 35 percent are 
trafficked. And that is a huge number. I don't want to downplay that. Um, But 65% of women must choose it. I'm going to go back to the women are handcuffed to society. They they have no other option than to choose that. So let's dig into that a little bit. Um, here's kind of the road to prostitution. Uh, family debts force these girls to start working in factories at a very young age. They make anywhere between three and five dollars per week working 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. The debts from the family continue to grow. They they get really big and the girls become more stressed out. Um, They're forced to move then to bigger cities where the cost of living is higher. Um, So there's the stress of that, but they're still really getting paid the same, maybe just a dollar more. Um, And by the way, most of these girls, when they're leaving the home, only have a sixth grade education. So they're limited to what they can do in the outside world. So they move into a larger city alone. Their family is back in their village. They find a couple of girls that are also doing the same thing. They get an apartment together. They realize that they can't afford the apartment because they're not making enough money. And then one of these girls' cousins comes along and says, I'm in Bangkok. I'm making so much money. You'll be able to make your family proud. You're going to be able to send back everything that they need to cover all of the debts. Come to Bangkok and you'll see. And then these girls arrive in Bangkok, these young girls. They begin working a factory job again from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're in this massive city. They had no idea the cost it was going to be to be there. And so they take on a night job because a friend of a friend knows a bartender that can get them in. Um as another worker and so then they begin working in these bars from 8 p.m to 2 a.m and as they're bartending they realize they're just making um, just a little bit here and there but the girls that are servicing the men are making quite a bit more and so they get pulled in they they have these pressures put on them by their family you've got to send this money back to honor the family you've got to um, save face for us and so they go into this industry and it's extremely difficult to get them out yeah I think that that's probably the the most common misconception and you have explained it so well uh, with that data and stories but that this is a choice but you have to understand the reasons behind the choice and it it literally is hard for, for me to even say the word choice because when you understand the lives these young girls have lived and all the pressure that is on them, it's not a choice. You know, I, I say all the time, poverty's greatest weapon is that it robs people of their choices. And there's no better example than this because no girl would knowingly choose this lifestyle, but because of their life circumstances, Um, They find themselves in these horrible situations. One thing leads to another and they simply can't get out. You know, um, a statistic that really should wake everybody up is that 70% of the men that fly into Thailand will have a sexual encounter while they're in country. I mean, that's just shocking. Um, That is what keeps the industry booming. And if you've been there and if you know this before you go, you cannot help but look at every man you see in a different light. And I, I know that that's not fair, but when it, but these numbers don't lie. And so it, when you know that 70% of the men that come, it is a very unsettling, dark feeling to know what is going on in a country that most people simply look at as a place to go vacation. 
Um, and, and, and then if you're honest about those numbers, that is what keeps the economy afloat. And that's what makes this such a hard issue to fight. Um, I don't want to make a blanket statement that the government doesn't care because I'm sure that there are people in the government that do care. But when you're so much of your economy is based on this industry, you're going to encounter resistance as you try to to help this cause. Um, so great points, Kaylin, and, and, and um, just a, a great question to answer and to educate people on about how the culture plays into this issue. Um, last question we're going to talk about, and I, I, I really wanted to, to get to this, is what rescue really looks like in this context. We talk about rescue so much. There's so many of the initiatives that I'm involved in, whether it's baby rescue and safe motherhood initiatives, and rescue looks different in every context. And I think even in trafficking, as we've explained, it's such a broad word, rescue can look different even under that umbrella. And then especially specifically with our work on the ground in Thailand, um, we are doing this a very specific way and working with our partners on the ground in a very specific way. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I'll start by just you know, sharing one example that I probably shared, but when I was there, I was able to go to the bar and and meet one of these girls and kind of see firsthand how it starts um, at that level. And, and it really impacted me that this is about building relationships. In most cases, this is not a quick fix. In this context, we are not going in and kicking down a door and grabbing a girl and quote unquote rescuing her. In this context, this is about building relationships with girls so that they will trust us to where we can give them other choices. And I know you have a lot to say about that, Kaylin. So, so share with us a little bit from your perspective how this works and how important that relationship is. Sure. Um, our partners are very intentional with these girls that work in the bars. They spend months and sometimes even years building relationships with these girls. And it goes deeper than just visiting them once a month or something like that. Um, I'm talking really, truly showing these girls that they care. Uh, for example, while I was in Thailand, I took a taxi with our partner to the red light district. Um, and it really felt as though she knew these girls from every bar that we passed. And as we passed each bar, these girls would come out and smile and wave and say hello and come over to our car window because they knew that our partner had food for them. Um, and she would just cluck over them like a mother hen and reach her hand out the window and touch their faces and say, have you had some protein today? Are you okay? And you know, if the girl was like, no, I, I haven't been able to stop to eat, oh, she would fuss over them and hand them food through the window and say, you need to eat this right now before you go back to your customer. I don't want you to faint. And it's that type of love and care that she never, these girls never asked her to be this way. She chose to go bar to bar and make sure that she knew these girls' names, that she knew where they came from. She would ask about some of their family, even though she didn't know them. And because she treated them like family, that's what made all the difference. They learned to trust her. And then after some time, they feel comfortable enough with her to leave these bar jobs and stay at the safe house. Um, 
And, you know, sometimes there's not always a happy ending for some of these bar girls. Uh, I think one of the most powerful testimonies for me that I saw is that um, sometimes these girls feel that there's no way out for them, but it breaks their hearts to think that their little sisters might have to go through this at a later date. And so they will come to our partners and say, look, I don't think that I can get out, but please take my sisters. Don't let them have the life that I have. And that gives me chills that that our partners are trusted enough that they know they can bring their family to them and that they're going to be safe and they're going to be loved and treated well. Noel, that's what rescue looks like. That's what it looks like, helping one girl at a time out of the darkness and providing them this opportunity and means to break the cycle for future generations. I love that you brought that up about future generations and that you said, you know, not every story has a happy ending. Um, I think something else people need to know about this issue is this is complicated work. There is nothing simple about it. And because of that, sometimes you don't have the massive numbers at face value of girls that we're helping. But I think what people need to understand that you touched on is when we help one girl, just one girl, you are breaking the cycle for generations to come. That means no longer is she in the sex trade and when she has a daughter, her daughter will not be put in the sex trade and so on and so on. And so when you look at the numbers in, um, in that light, it's overwhelming the opportunity that we have to really make a difference in this country and around the world. Kaylin, thank you so much for joining me on both of these sessions. Your passion um, shines through, um, especially face-to-face, but I think even the listeners are going to hear it in your voice how passionate you are about this issue, and that's what we need, our passionate advocates um, that are willing to speak out. That's how we're really going to make a difference. Um, I want to thank you again for listening. I hope you listened in to both sessions. If you want more information on uh, this initiative that I'm involved in, please go to my website at noelleyates.com or follow me on all of my social media platforms at noelleyates. Until next time, may we all find ourselves awake and doing a world of good.